1: Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
0: April 24, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Ears Edition.
2: Our guest tonight is the co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and a global advocate for women and girls. Melinda Gates is joining us, everybody.
3: Right over here, right
2: over here. Also on tonight's show, Lewis Black is gonna give us a guide to the subway. There's a murdering bird on the loose and President Trump wants to speak to the manager. But first, (laughs) let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick off with an update on the story that shook the nation, Jussie Smollett. Two months ago, the Empire actor was attacked by two Trump supporters who turned out to be Nigerian weightlifters. (laughs) But then, Jussie was arrested for working with them to fake a hate crime. But then, the charges were dropped for no reason. And then, Jussie said the brothers really did attack him, but they were in whiteface, and now, the story's starting to get weird.
3: The two brothers who allegedly faked the Jesse Smollett attack are now suing the Empire actor's legal team. They say Smollett directed every aspect of the hoax. The brothers are suing for defamation. They claim they suffered extreme emotional distress. Smollett's attorneys have called that federal lawsuit ridiculous.
2: Okay, okay. I don't know who's writing the Jesse Smollett story, but they deserve a raise, all right? <laughs> No, because this is a storyline that nobody could have predicted. The Nigerian brothers are saying Jussie hurt their reputation by telling people that they aren't con artists and scammers. You realize that? (laughs) They're very upset about it. They're like, how dare you insinuate that we are not committing a scam, huh? How dare you say that about us? This is especially insulting to me as a prince whose family was recently forced to flee his country. So they're suing, and I'll be honest, if I was Jussie, I would settle with these guys quickly because if they cut his face when they were faking it, imagine what they do and shit is real. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I'll be honest with you. I, uh, I don't know how these guys can claim Jussie Smollett tarnished their image because up until a few months ago, no one knew their image, right? And now we do. And it's this photo, which we use every single time when they talk about on the news, <laughs> which is pretty dope. Shit, if I ever get arrested for anything, feel free to use this photo of me. Yeah, (laughs) just like do that all the time, all the time. And by the way, that's not my penis, I have a tail. Moving on (laughs) to another never ending story. Immigration, recently the Department of Homeland Security has gotten a bad reputation for how it detains children at the border. So they've been trying to come up with an alternative that doesn't look cartoonishly evil. And this is what they came up with. A new report this morning from the New York Times says the United States is considering housing migrant children at the U.S. military prison at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. The report says it's part of an effort to handle the uptick in immigrants that are trying to cross the southern border. Okay, I wanna know how that meeting at Homeland Security went, hmm? (laughs) came up with this idea, people like, guys, guys, people are already mad at us for separating children from their parents. What can we do to fix this? Oh, we can throw them in Guantanamo. My man. (laughs) This is a horrible idea. But on the upside, at least the Guantanamo ball pit would finally get used. I mean, (laughs) and now officials say that they might not move forward with this because the idea of using Guantanamo Bay for immigrant children is uh, not a good idea, right? Uh, I guess they realize how inhumane it is. And not just for the kids, but for the prisoners, right? They now have to share their prison with kids. Like, forget waterboarding, living with toddlers, that's the real torture. (laughs) They'll be like, no, no, not Paw Patrol again, please, 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 no! Dogs cannot operate vehicles, no! And finally, you're not gonna believe this, but something really strange happened in Florida.
4: A rare bird that rammed into its owner and killed him is up for auction. Marvin Hajon died after he was attacked by the Cassowary in Gainesville. The flightless bird is now for sale along with a hundred other exotic animals from the man's personal collections.
2: Quick question, why are they auctioning off the killer bird? <laughs> like, who's bidding on that? Is there someone out there showing up like, 200, I'll fight that bird. <laughs> And and you know what? Like, people are like, this bird, I can't believe it. But let's be be fair, people. We murder birds every day. Like, hundreds of thousands of them, yeah. So life really is about perspective. We call this bird a murderer, but chickens locked up in farms everywhere, they're like, yo, that's our Malcolm X. That's what that is. (laughs) That was revenge. They're getting tattoos of that bird on themselves right now. And Florida or not, it is shocking to hear that there's a bird that can kill people. It's like finding out there's a gerbil that commits arson. Mr. Snickers, no! (laughs) All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our main story, President Trump. He's obviously a very busy man, but in between rounds of golf and shredding his tax returns, he still finds time for his true passion, getting into beefs. And with Trump, one beef is never enough. So let's catch up (laughs) on all his latest beefs in another edition of Donald J. Trump, Commander
3: in Beef. I'm gonna hit them back. And if I give them a whack, you think I could take this guy and knock crap out of him? I'd we'll like to punch him in the face.
2: For the first presidential beef, it's the president versus Twitter. <laughs> yes, like all of Trump's closest relationships, his relationship with Twitter is sort of a love hate situation, which is why yesterday, Trump had a White House meeting with Jack Dorsey the CEO of Twitter, and tech bro Tyrion Lannister. (laughs) And he had him there to let him know that the president isn't happy about what's going on online.
4: Well, President Trump meeting with Twitter co-founder and CEO Jack Dorsey at the White House. The meeting coming after Trump attacked social media, saying that they are biased against conservatives, even slamming Twitter for the platform's treatment of him.
5: The Washington Post reports that a lot of that meeting focused on the president's concerns that Twitter had deliberately removed some of his followers. But as Dorsey explained to the president, Twitter routinely removes
2: fraudulent spam accounts. That's right, my friends. The president of the United States is upset because he feels he should have more Twitter followers. (laughs) This is absolutely ridiculous. Like, what's next? Is he gonna complain to Instagram because his thirst traps aren't blowing up, huh? (laughs) He's like, look at those hips. Although I will be honest, this is the most relatable thing he's ever done, right? Because we all think we should have more Twitter followers. I don't care who you are. Everyone's like, come on, that's it? The only difference is when Trump gets mad at Twitter, he doesn't just complain to his friends. He flies in the CEO of Twitter. That's the dream right there. Yeah, in fact, I bet this is gonna inspire more people to run for office. Yeah, people are gonna be on stage like, I'm running for president so that I can ask Jeff Bezos, what happened to my tube socks? (laughs) Which was supposed to be here by Wednesday. And by the way, that's not a stock image. That's an actual guy running for president right now. Or maybe it isn't, you don't know. (laughs) There's too many of them to keep track. He actually is running, he isn't, we don't know. (laughs) I actually feel sorry for everyone in this meeting with Trump who had to sit there and take it seriously. Like everyone, I mean, look at at this guy, look at this guy's face, right? (laughs) That guy works for Trump, but even he's looking at him the same way you look at your dad when he whips out a Speedo for the beach. He's like, dad, you're embarrassing me in front of (laughs) Stacy. And poor Jack, poor Jack Dorsey. He has to explain to a president that some of his followers were deleted because they were bots and spam accounts. It's like breaking the news to a child that Santa isn't real. He's like, sir, you're 72 now, so I think you're old enough to know the truth at Mikhail underscore 62875 isn't a real person. (laughs) He's like, no, he retweets me every day. That's a lie. He's my best friend. (laughs) And Twitter is only one of the president's beefs right now because yesterday he reignited one of his original feuds.
1: President Trump is reportedly escalating his dispute with some of the media, reportedly telling officials in his administration to boycott Saturday's annual White House Correspondents Dinner after controversy at last year's event. Sarah Sanders and Kellyanne Conway have
6: attended in the past. President Trump has not attended the event since taking office. And in a tweet today, he once again called the media, quoting now, the enemy of the people.
2: That's right. President Trump has ordered everyone in his administration to stay away from the White House Correspondents Dinner. And when a guy who eats like this is boycotting your dinner, then you know he's mad, you know. And you know what, I'll be honest with you, I think this is a good thing. I've always thought it was weird that White House reporters spend an evening schmoozing with the people they're supposed to be holding accountable. Right? It just didn't make sense to me. It would be like if the FBI and the mafia had one day a year where they just go out to a fun brunch. You know? <laughs> Agent's just like, I hope the health inspector doesn't show up because we sure got a lot of rats at this table looking at you, Vincenzo. (laughs) But seriously, guys, thank you for everything that you do. We appreciate you. But the most important Trump beef right now isn't with Twitter or the press. No, it's with Congress. Because in the wake of the Mueller reports, congressional Democrats are launching more investigations into the Trump administration. And in response, Trump is launching his middle finger. Battle lines.
4: President Trump says no to White House aides testifying to Congress about the Mueller report.
1: Democrats ready for a fight. The White House testing the power of Congress today, resisting a wave of subpoenas from House Democrats and telling a former security director not to show up for his scheduled testimony on security clearances.
3: Well, we're fighting all the subpoenas. We have been, I have been the most transparent president and administration in the history of our country by far. And I thought. After two years, we'd be finished with it. No, now the House goes and starts subpoenaing. I say it's enough. Get back to infrastructure. Get back to cutting taxes. Get back to lowering drug prices. That's what, uh, really, that's what we should be doing. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go
2: talk to Jack Dorsey about changing the Twitter logo from a bird to a T-Rex. Much cooler animal, folks. (laughs) With super normal hands. Serious work. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Trump. Trump. is refusing to let anyone from his administration testify in Congress. Yeah, he won't let the guy who gave Jared Kushner a security clearance testify. He won't let the lawyer he told to fire Mueller testify. The only person he'll let testify is Rudy Giuliani. And that's because he never makes sense anyways. Yeah. After five minutes in the hearing, Congress will be like, we have to evacuate the building. There must be a gas leak in here or something. I don't know what's going on. So Trump obviously thinks his officials don't have to comply with these subpoenas. And his war with the Democrats is getting so heated that people are starting to talk about potentially impeaching him. Which brings us to our final beef, Trump versus the Constitution.
4: While Democrats in Congress are continuing to debate whether or not they will move toward impeachment of President Trump, Trump is drawing a new line in the sand now.
0: Writing quote, if the partisan Dems ever try to impeach, I would first head to the U.S. Supreme Court. If the
2: Democrats impeach me, I will head to the Supreme Court. (laughs) Just to be clear, that's not a thing. (laughs) Okay, the Supreme Court, can't overrule an impeachment. The two have nothing to do with one another. This would be like if a cop gives you a ticket and your response is, I'm fighting this, buddy. You'll be hearing from my orthodontists. (laughs) What? So in the last 48 hours, the president has gotten in fights with Congress, the press, and Twitter, and look, we can't help him with the first two, but we do have someone who can help him out online. So please welcome someone who's on Twitter right now, Jabuki Young White!
5: <laughs> Thanks, Trevor. Okay, look, I never say this, but I feel bad for Donald Trump. I mean, like, clearly he's in a social media rut, and we've all been there. Your retweet count is down. Your takes are getting cold. You just got unfollowed by Rihanna. Wait, Chabuki, did you just get unfollowed by Rihanna? I don't wanna talk about (laughs) it. I just need to give Trump some advice real quick, okay? Mr. President, if you wanna get more followers, you gotta switch it up, man. I mean, first of all, you're too thirsty. Like, (laughs) look at all those capital letters. (laughs) Stop shouting. Nothing screams I'm desperate for attention like tweeting in all caps. You gotta play that shit cool, right? Put everything in lower case. Like, I don't know, I mean, I guess we could do a Muslim ban um, or not. I don't really give a f-. I'm chill, you know? Second, no one wants to hear about Fox and Friends or all that old people shit. Tweet about shows people actually watch, you know? Like that show with the b- black baby or whatever that gets kidnapped by Mandy Moore, but then it turns out being a good thing. You're talking about This Is Us? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Every time I watch that show, I'm like, damn, This Is Us. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so.
5: And speaking of us, there's one thing that will boost Trump's followers. He needs to become a part of black Twitter. It's the only gated community that he's not allowed in. Okay, okay, okay. Slow down, Jaboukie. Come on. Like, that's something that's never going to happen, man. Trevor. Have some faith, man. Look, to be a part of black Twitter, he only has to follow two simple steps. One, he has to cancel someone racist, right? Which should be easy for Trump because he could just cancel himself, you know? (laughs) Just like go back, dig up an old shameful tweet from like, I don't know, five minutes ago. (laughs) Call up his workplace and be like, you're canceled. I'm canceled, you're canceled. No collusion. (laughs) You know? You get it, Trump shit, you know? And two, if Trump wants to be on black Twitter, he's gotta change that profile pic. I mean, look at those dry ass lips. Black people will never trust someone that ashy. It looks like he's been making out with a urn, you know? Like, get yourself some lotion and glow the fuck up. And while you're at it, I don't know, maybe get some earbuds, a new barber. You know what? Just change your overall look. Right? <laughs> Jabuki Young-White, everybody.
2: We'll be right back. Hey, you can't be, you can't be, are you
5: following
6: you me? Like,
3: you said you're going to me.
6: Yeah.
2: You always sure, to follow me. Yeah.
6: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other.
2: Welcome back to The Daily Show. When a new story falls through the cracks, Lewis Black catches it for a segment we call Back in Black.
3: If you live in New York City, you've always been forced to make a choice. You're in a car or you're in the subway. You can only masturbate in one. But now the city wants to cut down on road traffic and push everyone into the subway. And people aren't happy about it.
4: New York City is set to become the very first city in the nation to levy a congestion tax on drivers.
0: Drivers entering Midtown but to below 60th Street will be charged a toll with that money going towards the city's public transit system.
1: But even some subway riders who would benefit from the billions in capital improvements aren't wild about the plan, knowing drivers could ditch their cars and flood the trains.
3: Oh, great! Now all the people from Jersey are riding the subways. If there's one thing I don't want to see at AAM, it's a guy spilling Red Bull on his sleeveless Bon Jovi shirt. <laughs> but still, I'm a New Yorker, and New Yorkers welcome people with open arms. You commuting <laughs> So welcome to the subway, former drivers. I think you'll find it's not as bad as you think. For example, If you're afraid that ditching your car means you can no longer bring personal items with you, don't worry. That's never stopped people before.
6: This passenger is trying to get a 30-foot steel beam onto the train. He's about to ride the whole train with
2: that. Fellow riders lend a hand. And you got help now. What do you know? It
6: fits.
4: A commuter in New York City made a subway car into a jungle. This video is posted
1: on Twitter Sunday. Man drags tree after tree. Onto the car for more than three minutes. Meanwhile, people on Twitter were shocked that he was able to pull this off.
3: Look at all those trees. It's like Central Park, but inside. All that's missing is some guy bathing in a fountain full of pigeon shit. By the way, we can all agree that he stole that beam, right? I mean, he's not on his way to a construction job, and they're like, Tony... Don't forget to bring the beams from home tomorrow. <laughs> oh. Oh, and if you're going to miss making yourself pretty in the car, don't worry. You can do that on the subway, too. Uh-oh.
1: How would you like to ride to work next to this person or this guy shaving his head? People clipping their nails, eating on. Oh, yeah, that's it. Clipping their nails. Toenails, too. <laughs> Want proof? Hey, that's
3: my lawyer! Hey, Ben! (laughs) But yes, subway riders are shaving their heads and clipping their nails. You know who I blame for this? Queer Eye. They taught men how to groom themselves but didn't tell them where to do it. Louis Black, everybody. We'll be right back.
2: My guest tonight is a businesswoman and philanthropist who co-chairs the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Her new book is called The Moment of Lift, How Empowering Women Changes the World. Please welcome Melinda Gates. Uh-huh. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It is so good to have you here, um, especially considering uh, the book that you've written. Um, I would like to talk about your journey from the very beginning, because you've lived like a really, really interesting life. For some people, you popped up as Melinda Gates, Mm -hmm. but you genuinely have lived an interesting life. For instance, I didn't know that you were offered a job at IBM and you turned it down to go work at a little company known as Microsoft. Right? Yeah, when you, when you look back at that, do you ever think to yourself that that was a, a moment that changed everything? It was one moment
4: that changed everything. Just like the moment when I had a teacher who saw computers and decided to go to the head nun of our all-girls school when nobody had computers and say, let's get six of them to help these girls learn how to code. Right. That just didn't happen back then. So there are all these forks that happen in life, and that happened to be a major
2: one for me. It, it, It really is a story of forks. It's a story of decisions, and that's what it feels like this book is about, the moment of lift, how empowering women changes the world. Um... One thing that I loved is, uh, I know that you are from Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I went there, I was was there doing shows uh, a a week ago. And when I was driving around, so many people have stories of how many things you've done for the community that you came from. Mm. Giving back is a, a big part of your life. It seems like a stupid question, but why?
4: I think in high school I learned I had a very uh, a set of very liberal nuns I went to an all-girl Catholic school. Right. The motto of the school was Serviam, that is to serve and they sent us out into the local public school, the Dallas County Courthouse, the hospitals and they taught us that if you are lucky enough to live in the United States and to be able to get a good education, you deserve you you need to give something back and even one person giving something back of their time can help change lives of others. And, and it was our responsibility to do that.
2: It seems like a responsibility that you've taken on as, a, as, as, a, as an opportunity as well. You know, you enjoy it. And what I do like about this book is you answer a question that many people have in opposition to the idea, empowering women. Mm. Some people hear that as an attack on men. They go like, oh, so what about men? Don't men deserve to be empowered? But in this book, you're arguing about how empowering women empowers everybody. Why?
4: Yeah, if you empower a woman, she is often the center of the family. And so when she has more economic means or when she has her voice or can take a decision, she makes different decisions on behalf of her family. That lifts up her family, a society, an economy. And it's why now when we go to the United Nations, prime ministers and presidents show up to talk finally about women and girls and getting them a great education, because it will help their economy.
2: When, When we look at some of the details in the book... There are so many issues that women face as part of their communities, mm. but then there are issues that women will face just because you are a woman. Issues that men don't face, you know, maternal issues, newborn health, your, your mortality. Um, I mean, women and girls' education and the disparity between the two. You've done a lot of work in Africa, and one of the key things you've been working on is getting communities to empower their women. Right. That's not easy. I know that coming from the African continent, there are some communities that go, no, a woman has her place, but we've started seeing the change. How did you get people to embrace those ideas?
4: Well, you can only go in and educate communities and get them to decide it's something they want to do, and you have to do it in very culturally sensitive ways with people who've been working with that community, often for 30 years. But once they start to understand, even a husband understands that his children will be better off if his wife has certain amounts of income, and he'll be better off then he often will start to make changes. And so it takes very thoughtful discussion. It takes discussion over a long period of time. And then you also introduced ideas and tools that we have here in the United States. And they start to say, yes, I would like to try that for
2: my family. I find it really interesting that the conversations you're having with many people in developing countries is a conversation in and around basic services. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you talk in the book about communities that you've lived with where some of the women will say to you, Melinda, I need a vaccine. I want my children to live. I don't want them to die from diseases that have technically been eradicated all over the world. You then look at America and the news today of the measles outbreak being the largest that it's ever been since measles was eradicated in the U.S., and it really does raise the question, is it a form of privilege where people say, oh, I don't need a vaccine when people in developing nations are saying, we're literally dying for these same vaccines? It's
4: absolutely a privilege. To, first of all, to live in this country is a privilege. And then to have basic vaccines and a decent healthcare care system is a huge privilege. And so I think so often we forget about our past in the United States. We forget that people used to have polio in my mom's generation or that people used to get smallpox. We've eradicated that now. Or measles kills children or people who are immune compromised. So We need to remember our history and we need to learn from other people. I talk to women in so many countries in Africa and they've walked 10 kilometers in the heat to get a vaccine for their children because they know, they will tell you, this will save the life of my child.
2: When you talk to these women, one thing that has been apparent in the book, and it's a really powerful story, is how you get women who say, one of the biggest things that's changed my life is having access to birth control. Mm. Being able to choose when and how I have a child helps me define my life as a woman. That was a really powerful moment for me in the book because it's something I always thought I knew but I fully didn't comprehend until I read some of those stories. Why is that so crucial for people to understand and how does that change a woman's life?
4: This was something that completely surprised me. When I first started traveling to Africa and in many different countries, I would be there to talk to women about vaccines and basic health services for their children. And when I would stay long enough, they would say to me, but what about my health? What about birth control? I used to be able to get it in this tiny clinic where I can still get vaccines. Why can't I? Mm -hmm. And it turned out that what they were asking the world for, we just had stopped delivering because of politics, mainly in our own country and religious beliefs. And yet... Over 200 million women were asking us for them because what they will tell you is it is a life and death crisis. It's not fair for me to have another child to the one I just had if I have five and I can't feed or educate these. And so it is the greatest anti-poverty tool we have. And I just didn't realize until I really listened to women that
2: this is something that is a life and death emergency for them. And we need to deliver it as a world. There is one part of this book that genuinely surprised me. I, I've known about your work. Mm. I've known about your philanthropy. I know that you are going to be giving away all of your, your money um, to people like me. And... Um, <laughs> and there was one thing that really surprised me in the book. And, and I know it sounds like a strange thing to say, but I didn't ever know about Melinda Gates, the woman. Mm. You know? I've spent so long learning about Melinda Gates the business person, the philanthropist, the, the the leader, but as a woman, you have faced challenges yourself. You you, you share very candid stories about being in an abusive relationship mm. before you were with Bill. You you share candid stories about how even... You, how you face challenges of being with Bill where people would only address him when the two of you were in a room. So, what do you think you've had to do in your world? Because challenges are different, don't get me wrong. I would never compare it to, you. you know, you and a woman in Africa, but for yourself, in a world where people think you have everything, what are the challenges you have to constantly try and overcome as a woman?
4: I think as a woman, um, women all over the world need to face the fact that sometimes they are labeled a certain thing. They're labeled as just a mother or just a working woman or in my case just a wealthy woman. No, I'm a woman with a full life. I have three children. I have a loving relationship and husband, but I have faced challenges. And I think we need to look at the full picture of women's lives. One of the reasons I do write a whole page on abuse and abusive relationship I was in was not necessarily just to share my story, but it's to say to people, that can happen to absolutely anyone. And if someone faces abuse and all these barriers we have in society you silence women, you silence their voice, you silence, you stop their self-confidence. And we need to open up society and we need to lift these barriers. And when we do that as men and women, Everybody will rise together. And so I helped in sharing my personal story. People would see me as a whole human being, not
2: just one of these categories they might see me in. I'll tell you one thing I enjoyed about the book is uh, it's illuminating, it's fascinating, and most importantly, it has answers. So thank you very much for being on the Thanks show. Thanks for having Wonderful me. Wonderful having <laughs> you. The Moment of Myth, truly inspiring read, is available now. Melinda Gates, everybody.